Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 hey. It is me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe. We are live and direct at the time of recording at any rate. Uh, if you're watching it later, we will not be live. So we've got another special episode today. We are going to be looking at this bad boy here. It's the uh, G.I. Joe 40th anniversary special that was published just last month by IDW and uh, is yeah a remarkable issue in that uh, in it, it is a recreation of uh, the issue 21, the famous silent interlude issue, but not by the original artist, but by a stream of guest artists from uh, the ranks of uh, the G.I. Joe kind of legends, I'd say. But I'm not going to be doing it alone. As always, I will be joined by my co-host, Tim, who I will play a jingle for if I can do it quickly enough. Here it is. I really want to talk Joe with you. It's a real American, Tim. There he is. And hello, Mark, and hello, listeners and viewers. Very good. How are you today, Tim? I am well. I'm ready to talk, Joe. Excellent. Good to see that you are prepared. Uh, we will. We are joined by two very special guests. The artist, well, two of the artists, two of the twenty-two plus artists from the the book. Uh, probably closer to twenty-five. If we start. anyway, let's not get into semantics. They are, they're here. And first of all, I will introduce uh, someone whose jingle I forgot to load in. It woohoo! He'll make you famous. It's Billy Penn. Howdy. How's it going? Yeah. Welcome Very back. Good. I'm ready to talk. I think between the three of us, they've sold at least three copies. That's wonderful to see commerce in, uh, in action. Uh, you joining us from Florida today, Billy? I am. Uh, I've got the back door open on the garage and the garage door open. So this is all Florida UV light. Wow. Live and direct Florida lighting uh, and slightly uh, less uh, cold than the start that we had uh, the last time we spoke to you. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Live from the, the Silent Castle, where, of course, we talked about your live action recreation. Well, yeah, your stop motion recreation of uh, the Silent uh, Interlude issue. Good quarantine, uh, yeah. Also joining us today is uh, the real American hero, Supremo. It's uh, Robert Atkins, uh, who I I thought, if I've got enough time today, I'll make a jingle for. And guess what, folks? I didn't have enough time, but uh, here's the, here's what the jingle <laughs> would have been. It would have been R Rabbit by Chaz and Dave. Uh, so Rabbit, 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 Ucha. It's Robert Atkins. <laughs> Hi, Robert. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I got the live version. That's fantastic. Yeah. Ne next time, next time you're on, we'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll have recorded something. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Sounds great. Excellent. So, are you, where are you joining us from today? Is it in the region of Georgia? Yes, uh, Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. 
Cool. With uh, real Savannah sunshine pouring in through a window. Robert, uh, are... yeah, yeah, definitely. Robert, are there more Transformers behind you than GI Joe figures, and also mm. why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I mean, there's like all things '80s, really, just in my studio behind me. There's like a wall right here, but then what you can't see is everything on that side of the studio. So right behind me, I can never get this right. Right behind me, I'm gonna, a I'm gonna table, do a. And then uh, uh, what you don't see is everything that I see as I draw. So everything on that side of my studio is what I look at while I draw. And that there's more Joe stuff that way. You could counter by asking me why there's of, of all of yeah, the, exactly. one, <laughs> all of the one toys behind me, <laughs> zero, zero of them are GI Joe. Right. Well, there you um, go. I'll say something similar. Um, oh, you should see the, the 900 GI Joe figure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just out of camera. Right. Uh, I actually find it very funny to host a G.I. Joe podcast, occasional <laughs> video cast. Uh, and behind me is, is not any G.I. Joe. I, I find that funny. Um, Billy, is there any um, cool Joe treasure in those Tupperware bins behind you? And also, why not? Um, oh, gosh. Oh, wow. We're on the move. <laughs> We're on the move. Uh, I got a snowcat. Okay. okay. Figures. <laughs> My actors. I got some studly toys in here. Okay. <laughs> Not on display though. Uh this is this is literally an 80s basket. Okay. From the 80s. 80s basket. Two Joe yeah. vehicles. Yeah, it's full of G.I. Joe figures. Uh, I think you're. I, I think you're in a, in a Joe shirt, and Mark's wearing a Joe shirt. I think. Uh, I think. I think Billy and Mark are winning this. Um, this winning, winning the t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. My display is lackluster, yeah. though. <laughs> well, first I was My... worried that you were trapped in a storage closet, and that <laughs> you were, like live casting <laughs> from there. Right. Uh, I did. But... I did do a Zoom meeting last summer uh, in a closet at. Uh, at at the family's house, uh, the acoustics were great because it was carpeted and there were lots of, True. you know, like women's like. <laughs> I, I was in a closet in the right. guest room, right? So there's it's like women's office clothing, you know, <laughs> yeah. back from the dry cleaner. Uh, but I, I have done I have done at least one Zoom meeting over the pandemic, just like sitting right. on the carpeted floor in a closet right. with the door closed. I thought the punchline was going to be they open the closet and they go, Tim, why are you wearing my clo clothes? And they're like, the, acu the acoustics, the acoustics. The acoustics. Yeah, yeah. It's not what it looks like. That's where you should sing your jingles, like from yeah, just playing that. We we do we do tell our students, particularly in the last two years, right? Like, okay, students, these are these are college animation students. Uh, you should come to school and record your dialogue in the sound room. But if you can't use a closet at home mm, or, yeah. and, and several of our students actually did record their dialogue in their rooms with, with a blanket over them and their microphone. So uh, the, it, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, see, talk about, I, let's talk about GI Joe. Yeah. See, I had, I hadn't finished sort of, uh, sort of trying to, to have a, a real good look at some of Robert's gems there in the, in the, in the background. So there's, there's a nice big snake eyes head. The, the hawk statue, I think that's one mm -hmm. on my list to uh, look out for. Uh, I've got the 
Oh, you can't see them, but I've got the the Crimson Guards. I think it's the, from the same collection. Yeah. Um, what I'm seeing a lot of Marvel and not a lot of any mm. other publisher. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, that's the, or this is the, that's just the Marvel shelf. Shelf. Okay. Yeah. There's bookshelves that kind of line that wall too. There's, yeah. Um, when I'm, there's a, a, like right up here is like the turtle collection. And then at the bottom, there's a lot of Valiant and Dark, Dark Horse, but this whole shelf is Marvel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Rob, Robert, um, since you've worked for IDW, you like turtles. Can you tell me why more people don't read the amazing Ninja Turtles ongoing comic? It's so good. It's I mean, so Tom good. Waltz has been like phenomenally consistent with that whole run. He just gets it. Um, every every artist yeah. that they get on that series and all the spinoffs, they're 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 different, but they're all great. And having mm -hmm. one person color the entire run gives it this consistency, and it's this yeah. wonderful combination of movie, toy, old show, old old show current yeah. show old comic baked into a delicious turtle pie <laughs> soup i think yeah i think it's the best ongoing like consistent series idw's ever done like hands down uh because like because it's had such a consistent voice throughout it and by all means it's had you know some story arcs that are better than others but overall if you take it as a whole it's been the most most consistent because every other run has had like re it's been rebooted or it's had you know multiple writers or uh, I don't know editorial staff even come and go, but um, I think the turtles has hands down been the most consistent and they've just had such a clear voice from the beginning. So yeah, I've loved it. When people come into my store and they see the black and white original collections and then the current series sort of as the hardcover and as the soft cover, which are different formats. Uh, different reading order formats. I, I will mm -hmm. say to people, I didn't like this comic for the first 10 issues, but mm -hmm. it clicked with the third arc. So yeah, so I would agree. Yeah. Give it a chance. Yeah. But then once it hit that, I mean, once it hit that stride, it just really takes off and yes. it's phenomenal. So Billy, oh, yeah. Mark, why aren't you reading turtles? They're only a hundred and <laughs> they're only 127 issues. Exactly. Yeah. off issues to catch up on. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's all the other good things that, I want to read and know, haven't so got many. time to read as well. You know, my, my reading part, you know, my reading part is my room essentially. I, I did yeah. get my, <laughs> I did get my free comic book day version. I'm yeah, all caught so, up. So that issue, the free comic book day turtles issue, I think is like roughly issue 126 and a half or 127 and a half setting up the next arc. Oh, uh, me. <laughs> I was going to say, Billy. I think at IDW, like Larry Hama's still doing uh gi joe and eastman still has you know his toe in the uh the turtle water mm -hmm. the turtle pool Turtles. so that's a pretty Pond. phenomenal yeah yes yes it's, yeah. uh it, it's a it, it's a good time to be a joe fan it's a good time to be a turtles fan yeah that's true uh Very true. I, from I, I'm a little space. i'm a little sad for um my little pony friendship is magic fans because i think that is all ended right like the show's over, the comic that continued the show is over, and there's a new comic, and they've started over, like a new, mm -hmm. a new continuity. As far as I understand, comic. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what the show? I don't know how long the show went, but I think the comic did seasons ten and eleven, something like that. And right. uh, if you know that that could be something like 
The Simpsons, where it just keeps going forever, but maybe a toy company feels differently. You know, no, we have to change it up again for the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every three years, Transformers starts over, right? With, right. With the boys, mm -hmm. um, which is not something I would necessarily do if if they were asking me. Right. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, That's... yeah, I, I think that you could do with any of these properties. I think you could do a classics line. You know, something that is obviously successful. Yes, those that demographic grows up, but they don't grow out of loving that property. So whatever is successful with that demographic, do a classic line with that demographic, do variations, do whatever, but keep it. Why not keep it? And then, you know, revamp or reboot or do something and try something new by all means. But there's no reason to just throw that out and say, well, never, we're never doing it again. You know, I don't understand that. Yeah. Or, re I mean the... or redo classic things. <laughs> redo them. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the brand with the brand's been going 40 years, you're you're able to, you know, you've got the, that audience who who their peak period is, a you know, a specific, uh, it, you know, year from from, you know, 40 years ago, right up till today, really. And mm -hmm. and so for, for, for all of those people, uh, there, there's going to be a particular you know, era, particular character, particular art team for, for the comics, whatever that that is their sort of golden pinnacle. We were talking to Richard Starkings and and he had a theory which was that whatever you're reading between the ages of nine and eleven, pretty much, that is the that is the thing that sort of cements for you and becomes your ultimate thing. Uh it's and it's good if the quality of that thing is is also good. <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be the best thing. Uh ever for everybody but it might just end up being the best thing uh for for you so it's yeah in interesting these sort of the the kind of uh aspect of uh nostalgia and and where we are were when we were encountering these things that uh that play such a, a big part for for us so uh yeah bringing it back to issue 21 uh where where were you who were you when you first encountered the the issue billy you go first <laughs> okay the original 21 i'm pretty sure uh it was being passed around on the schoolyard uh in my classroom among amongst us kids who were like have you seen this one uh and that would have been after it had come out maybe someone found it in a 50 cent box or uh <laughs> Maybe it was a quarter bin back then. Uh, but yeah, just uh, circulating around like, oh, if you like this one, you should try this one. I think when I really started collecting uh, like monthly, making it a uh, religious pilgrimage to, to, to the spinner rack, I think 85 was new, the sound effects issue. And then I maybe I came to 21 after that. It's really just kind of a timeline where you're just kind of plugging in the holes. You're reading it. Yeah, out of uh, order. If you're starting at 85 and then you're going back to the, the boxes and going, okay, there's an issue I've got, not got, and slowly right. piecing it all together, right? Yeah, that's right. kind of how how I encountered a lot of the early issues. Like, It would have been a holes. back issue find. And and the, the yearbooks, yearbooks three and four had all those recaps and cover galleries, which right. helped and teased and confused. Yeah. And recap, <laughs> I, you know, yearbook three also had a silent issue, which 
my friends and I were blown away by. Robert, where were you when you found 21? Uh, see, for me, like my introduction to G.I. Joe was definitely the cartoon first and then the toys and then the comics last uh, because I didn't even really get into comics until kind of late middle school, early high school. Um, I mean, I definitely would see them in the you know, gas station corner store, but we didn't have a comic book shop where we were at. So this was like late 80s, early 90s before I was even really introduced to comics. So um, I didn't even know that there was a G.I. Joe comic book, which is kind of crazy to think uh, <laughs> being associated with the property. But um, so I when I um, I mean, I loved the property growing up, but I was more on, into that side of it with the, the cartoon and toys. And then when I uh, came across the Marvel collected editions is when I first read it. And then, um, and I just, that was my first, uh, the very first time I read any kind of like silent issue where there wasn't any dialogue. And I know that there's been other comics maybe in the past that have, you know, that have done this, whether or not it was for a full issue or for, you know, uh, I had seen pages that didn't have any dialogue on the page and I that impacted me also. But um, for it to be, an, and this was definitely the first time there was an entire comic and it came by surprise because even though it had been out at this point for a long time, uh, years and years, I... You're talking about like the the Marvel collections from like the early 2000s, is that right? Yeah. The yeah, ones exactly. with the J. Scott Campbell covers. Yeah, I that was the very first time I had ever read this comic. It was like decades after you know it had come out. So I was just very uh, unfamiliar with it because I started working on G.I. Joe in 2005, 2006. And, um, you know, I had known that there was a G.I. Joe comic by then, but I was just starting to kind of collect them in back issue and collected edition kind of thing. And so just as I picked it up and that was the first, and it, it kind of came as a surprise. So I was really late to the game. And, it, <laughs> but by then I, it was kind of interesting because I had gone through school and I had kind of st studied comic storytelling. And so it really hit me in a more educated view than as a kid, right? And so I had a love for the property, but I was able to really study it in the nuances of like a more educated uh, point of view by that point. So uh, I really, really appreciated the storytelling aspect of it. So that's why it hit me kind of so hard, I think. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sort of encountering it Encountering it all those years later, I guess, is quite a different dynamic to reading it at the time because, like, that mm -hmm. reveal of the last page of, like, you know, who's that? You know, who is this white ninja? Why has he got the same tattoo? You know, what's going on? You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's See, less of an I miss, un unknown I didn't at that point because we've got that because I didn't get that reveal. I'd always known that they were associated. You know, it's like I didn't get that reveal. So I, I, I yeah, I'm sad that I missed out on that impact, you know, that youthful impact of it. But, um, I can appreciate, you know, the storytelling reveal, you know, visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's that's that's the thing that grows over over the years is that mm -hmm. you can you can realize quite, you know, quite what a feat uh, was achieved with the with the project and you know the strength of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Mark, where were you when you found issue twenty one, and was it an American printing of it? Uh, it. 
I first encountered it as the Marvel UK Action Force Weekly uh, reprint of of twenty one, which was uh, printed slightly outside out of uh, order. So they they were kind of started, uh, you know, pretty much with that like like that early Zartan issue is how they kind of kicked kicked off the oh, okay. the, Amer- the American reprints because. You, you can understand why they did it because it's you know a big bombastic storyline and also it was t- tying into the toys that were then coming into the UK. Um, but uh, they this you know twenty one was such a strong issue that obviously they can didn't want to just skip past it. They wanted to include it in some way, so they created this sort of bookends story, uh, which was illustrated by a very young Brian Hitch, uh, and contained some dialogue to try to try and fit it in. Uh, into the kind of overall story that was being told, um, and and yes, yeah, so I so I I encountered it I guess over a space of a few weeks because it was being chunked up into smaller mm. segments as as well. So that was how I knew it for quite a long time. Um, Did it, it occur it, to you that it, mm. most of it was wordless and that was unusual? Yeah, I think I would have recognised that. Um, it was probably less striking that it was so wordless because it was bookended by some, you know, this beginning and end sequence. And it was also part of um, an anthology which contained other issues which did have words as well. So it was less striking that it was an entire issue that, that was wordless because uh, it was a smaller part of a, a wider uh, issue. And it might, I'm, I'm just wondering, it might have actually been until the Marvel reprints I then encountered it in kind of a closer to the original format. Uh, and, and, but yeah, I tended to uh, destroy my uh, Action Force comics, uh, with, take, take, take them apart and then staple the American stories together. Cause you know, I couldn't be doing with the anthology. I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to get the whole story all in one go. For, for, so, for readers, listeners who are curious about, this reference to these Marvel reprints, what what IDW now publishes as classic G.I. Joe volumes one through five. Marvel mm-hmm. initially prepped and published as G.I. Joe volumes one through five mm-hmm. in 2001, 2002, 2003. And IDW took all of the same files, made like one tiny change to all five of them. But that's what those are. Actually, uh, you can't quite see them, but they're... Four of, them, four of them are behind me, the, the Marvel printings. Um, uh, what about my, you, Tim? Uh, my story sort of splits the difference between Robert and Billy because my brother and I were first into the cartoon and then the toy and then the comic. And I got into comics the summer before sixth grade, which I consider late, although I can see compared to some people, it's not. And uh, we bought issue 90 when it was new. And over the next three years, we filled in all of the gaps, whether it was with second printings and tales of or first printings. And um, so um, I think we were at a convention in Washington, D.C., and I think there was a dealer, this won't mean anything to you, sort of on the right. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I think we got issue 21. This is 1990, 1991. I think we got it for uh, between... 12 and 22 dollars at a time when i think it was selling for five or six more than that or that's what the price was but you could do some bargaining and we were 
we were we were supremely aware that we were getting it for a deal and we hadn't known what the cover promised but we'd seen the cover reprinted you know here and there in a catalog or whatever um and i don't remember reading it and being uh sort of gobsmacked by it but i remember um uh, I remember years later in college, I took a storyboarding class, uh, storyboarding for feature animation with a guy who'd worked and was working in the industry in Los Angeles. And um, everything he he drew on the on the whiteboard was wordless rectangular panels, as if he was writing and drawing a scene in an animated feature film. And that's when sort of story was really clicking for me. That story is separate from script story is separate from character like when we talk about storytelling on this podcast we're talking about how you translate to the audience what is happening and why and it is separate from drawing and it is separate from uh the script and uh but all of those things feed into it and so later when i was rereading 21 uh, particularly when Larry Hama came and presented it at my school for some of my students, because we we brought him out to sign at my store and also to talk at my school. Um, uh, the story in this is so clear, right? Like that's the magic of this. It's a great story. The story doesn't need dialogue because all the choreography, characters and finger quotes, camera angles, it's all crystal clear. Seconded. Um, yeah, and, and to be honest, so I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get into that, but that was kind of the unique challenge of redrawing this. You know, I'm sure that that's where we're going to go with the discussion. But mm -hmm. it was it was when they first presented us with it, I was immediately excited just to get a chance to work on something that I knew was going to be uh, a seminal, important issue, and people were going to get excited about seeing. But then immediately, I was like, well, it's already well done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, um, I wasn't. And also, it's not like we had uh, an insight into how other artists were approaching their pages. It was very much like, this is your page, go. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, are we supposed to change uh, compositions? And they're like, do whatever. You know, wow. they're like, they're like, generally, you know, the composition is what it is. Like, we want the story to be the same. Obviously, don't change the story, but do your thing. And we're like, uh, <laughs> so we really didn't get a lot of direction. You know, um, when you say when you say we, did you immediately start talking to other artists or you mean sort of later in thinking about it? We weren't even I wasn't told what other artists were involved. No, I don't know, Billy. Were you? Yeah, we weren't told. No. Who, so we couldn't reach out to each other to find out what, how, how extremely people were changing <laughs> their composition. So it was really kept very quiet. Uh, I was surprised even when other artists were starting to show their pages before it was announced or before it was coming out, or even that they were announcing that they were a part of it. So, because um, I wasn't sure how, like NDA wise, like how hush hush it was going to be. Um, and I was reluctant to show my page until it was actually on shelves, even though mm. a few a few had shown their page. But in general, um, I think some pages I can I can hands down see why uh, certain shots 
were adjusted. Uh, and like on Billy's page, especially, I think they make phenomenal sense. You know, why to move a camera angle this, this way or that. And I think in some pages, um, you know, we can get into it a little deeper. Like on my page, there was very little reason to change much. So, um, you know, but it was an interesting challenge. Hands down, it was an interesting challenge because of exactly what Tim was mentioning. The storytelling is so clear throughout. I mean, yeah. it, it really stands up and it has. There's been so many, you know, uh, reviews of the of this book over the years um, because it stands up so well. Yeah, Billy, did you did you sort of encounter this the same sort of process that that when you were told about it, you you thought you know, do I keep it? How faithful do I keep it? How how much do I change it? Did you did you ask those kind of questions as well? In my head, I mean, to my wife when she's cooking, she's like, <laughs> uh, okay, whatever. No, I mean, I love hearing from Robert, like his uh, talking Joe episode. I was like, oh my gosh, that's me, like coming from an education background and getting his assignment, like, oh, the timing's perfect. And now the timing's not. Um, and no, he just said everything that I completely agree with. I'm tickled. Um, yeah, I think the first email was like, shoot us some pages you'd like to draw. And I, I thought, oh, well, I, I think I sent a list of like five that I thought would uh -huh, be killer. Yeah. And uh, I think they shot back with one of those. And I said, Sure, why not? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I'm scratching my head. Like, I don't want to say no. I don't not want to be a part of this. But then I'm like, that issue's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having having made the movie in uh, in stop motion form, made the book make even more sense because uh, you know, Snake Eyes pulls his grenade and throws it. Oh, and in Robert's in Robert's page. But that that's really kind of an Indiana Jones type move, like a Raiders move. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's why that was my favorite page and definitely one that I wanted to do. I, I think I did the same thing. I sent back three pages and three or four pages. And uh this one was kind of secretly my favorite or the one I definitely wanted to do because of that. It was like hands down, I that's how I describe it too. It's just that Indiana Jones move. But I was thinking, like, why doesn't he shoot the guy? And then, like, when I made <laughs> when I made the the stop motion movie, I'm like, oh, that Snake Eyes is Uzi that fell. Mm -hmm. Like he's Uziless behind enemy lines. And and I, you know, I've called Sensei Larry Hama an action cartographer, <laughs> but everything's there. It, it was like someone handed me a map of the United States, and they were like, "Do you want to redraw this map?" And I'm like, "Ah, uh, yeah." I don't know what I can add, but sure. Yeah, when when Larry, in in many GI Joe issues, this happened also in GI Joe Origins. Mark, I always forget. Is it nineteen or twenty? What's the what's the wordless issue? Oh, yeah, you stumped me as well. Wait, yeah, it's around about then, isn't it? Wait, it's like... All right, hold on. It's in the back of this. Uh, it's in the back of this. Uh, 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 nineteen. It's. <laughs> So the back of this uh, silent interlude hardcover, um, a previous wordless issue um, where Snake Eyes goes on this mission, Hama is very much keeping track of sort of how many clips of ammo Snake Eyes has. And mm. uh, I think this even happened in, did this happen in issue 250 at the end of Rise, 
Rise of the Rashikage, where someone throws a sword or, or an Uzi or a clip up. And anyway, Hum is keeping track of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that it's not sort of the lazy action movie or comic book trope of sort of unlimited ammo or, you know, three or four clips. Like, no, it's three clips and we've right. lost two, right? So, no, Azuzi's gone. So what weapon does he have left? Also, it's funny, mm. right? Because <laughs> if you think about it, a ninja should be able to jump out of the way, you know? Like, it takes a, it takes a couple seconds to, like, pull up a baseball out of your pocket and, like, do something to the top of it and like underhand it to someone up the stairs from you. But that's not funny. <laughs> if they're like, wait, I've got this, I've got a side, let me just knock it back to you, right? It's like, no, this, is, this isn't a comic for children, but this is a comic for entertainment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll give the Red Ninja credit for like bad lighting. <laughs> maybe, maybe he thought it was a baseball. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I got this. <laughs> so what what what's interesting, I guess sort of every, we talked to we started talking about this a little bit, is that everyone's got their kind of own approach to the to how they tackled the the page because you know they were they were allowed to <laughs> as as you found out. So there's right. there's the there's the kind of the scale of you know just subtly refining it sort of putting own twists of style onto the page versus wholesale just going out and and doing something very different you know changing the compositions changing which i was layouts. surprised we saw we saw that <laughs> there's a famous artist who made a bunch of changes Let's... and i don't know how... <laughs> let me let me ask a different question um billy and robert did you <laughs> Yeah, um, I I might write an entire blog post just on that one page, yeah, because uh, I have I have many feelings about it. <laughs> but but I, I will save I'm that. Still waiting on part two. Uh, it's uh, it's done. It's uh, I need to. Um, I'm posting it today. Okay. Okay. I, I kind of wanted to wait till till Tuesday because the three day weekend I won't get any traffic. But I may just uh, I need to do add two JPEGs and then it's done. Um, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, it's going to be a part three. So, um, uh, uh, Billy and Robert, did you draw your page from a comic or graphic novel you had? Did IDW send you a like JPEG or a ping or a PDF of the page, or did they send you the actual Larry Hama sketch layout, the breakdown? Oh, no. Yeah, they just sent us a PDF of the full issue. As the way that they print it now in color yeah. or finished. Okay. Because... One of the things that I was wondering is one of the reasons why I like this book, the, uh, the, the, the 30th anniversary of Silent Interlude is that it has Silent Interlude and then it has, it has photocopies mm. of Hama's, uh, of pages two through 22, not page one, of Hama's original breakdowns, right? Like before yeah. he sent off those pencils to get finished inked, he made photocopies and he kept them the whole time. And, uh, and I imagine one might approach drawing, redrawing a page from this story a little differently if they were working from these slightly sketchy black and white actual breakdowns versus the penciled, inked, colored, printed version, like a fully finished comic. 
pre and post um, the uh, Leola yeah, uh, yeah. effect. Yeah, because because part of part of drawing the page is you, part of the original finishing of the page in 1984 is reacting to the looseness of Hama's mm -hmm. breakdowns. Um, mm. And I was sort of hoping that, like the the purest version of this, I was sort of hoping that all the artists were provided with the actual breakdowns. Uh, no, we weren't. I could I could see how that. Um, I think given more time, that could have been a more interesting experiment, storytelling experiment. Uh, but when they approached us with it, they wanted a pretty fast turnaround. Um, I think they. They're like, hey, just you know, we have a great idea. How fast can you get this done? Basically, you know, it was kind of like it's just one page. Can we get this in two weeks? I think was the initial deadline, and then, um, which depending on people's schedules, like they were either on another book or some. A lot of us have full time jobs and we're doing other things, um, and so you know, even fitting that one page in, I think, was difficult for some. I think I probably got mine in in about two and a half, three weeks. And I was like, I am so sorry. I've got to be the last person turning the page in. They're like, oh no, oh no, you are not. And I was like, all right, I guess. Uh, but I, I don't even know who else. Yeah, I, like I said, we didn't have any communication with each other. I think that would have been awesome if they had set up some kind of a forum or some kind of discord or you know, some kind of Slack or something for us to communicate. That would have been awesome. I would have loved that camaraderie, this experience to talk together, show each other our art, show each other how we're, adapting it that could have been a fun fun experience uh if we'd have been if we'd have been able to see the layouts and um work from those that could have been really cool um i don't have that book i would you know if i had had that uh i probably would have worked from that instead but yeah they just provided a pdf also something that's now publicly available that that um only really in the last few months is uh is that the scans that um uh, that Gene Park made available of the of his uh, copy mm -hmm. of the original art, which is what's on the the right of the the screen here. Um, yeah. So so that's uh, I wonder I wonder how many people uh, working on the book uh, were able to to look that up and and reference it because yeah it hasn't it hasn't been available for a huge amount of time so so it might not be that people realised it was uh, even uh, even there so um, I think probably not. Robert Billy. Uh, um art approach question did you have the pdf on one side of your screen and you're drawing on the right <clears throat> did you uh like uh make it very very light blue and print out a copy onto bristol and draw on top of it um how did you were you were you drawing freehand on a new piece of paper did you draw digitally how did you actually make your piece of art um billy you I was, can go first <laughs> i was freehand on paper just looking at the pdf that um, you sent you or, or your printed comic yes i've got so many copies of this issue <laughs> i i scratched it out and then i i printed blue lines i don't yeah hold on let me uh mark's gonna go full screen in a second yeah okay so you you did uh all right, so the blue there is from your printer, not from a blue pencil. Right. Those okay, so are... you, you did you did a digital a digital thumbnail, printed it out at full size on Bristol out of your printer and inked on top of that. Right. Cool. Which 
Yeah. <laughs> no, you have an original piece of art that you could sell. Good, good job. Or not sell. Keep. I was going to say heritage <laughs> in forty years. Maybe it'll go for uh, three hundred thousand. Robert, yeah. how did you? Uh, Robert, how do you actually make your piece of art and what and and transferring yeah, so, the original information? Uh, for me, I wanted to, again. Um, yeah, I am really curious to talk to Billy about like his shot choices and things to, because he he made his like much more cinematic in a lot of ways. And in my approach, there was only a few changes I I felt a, a need to make in regards to camera angles, uh, either to zoom in or zoom out slightly. Um, panel one I thought was composed extremely well, and I felt zero need to change that. The only thing I was changing was just Snake Eyes' body type slightly. Um, even the pose of the ninja is just so spot on. It's just so great. And even the texturing is just beautiful. So compositionally, that one, I literally light boxed and then just changed the figures on top. Uh, so I wasn't even looking to change the composition. Panel two, I just redrew. Panel three, I believe I light boxed for scale and then redrew the figures. Panel four, the pose is very similar. Um, and I just adjusted the size to fit slightly better. So I wasn't hitting the tangent on the bottom of the panel uh, and obviously just rendered for style. Panel three, I redrew just to make it a bit more dynamic. And panel four is very similar to the last panel of the original page, or the, I'm sorry, panel five or six at this point, the last panel basically. Uh, because to me, that's just so iconic. I mean, you can't, <laughs> rework that facial expression and even down to the lettering on the grenade i'm like i'm not changing uh you know i'm, I'm gonna obviously render it different for my style but i'm not going to change a line of this panel because that my page i think there's a few pages in the book that i felt if you changed them it would do a disservice to this story you know there's a few pages in the book that i thought if you changed it you actually hurt the story and on this page i felt like there was a couple panels that that do that, um, panel three and the last panel were two of those, um, where we get the reveal of the ninja uh, and the last panel. And all I, if I ever made a change, it was just Snake Eyes' body type to make it a little bit more my own, like what I'm a bit known for and, and how I render him, um, and then just overall rendering and shading. Uh, if I changed you know, panel two and uh, panel five, that was typically a bit more just for dynamics and to modernize it a bit. I, you know, I rarely change. Uh, I don't even do a lot of diagonal panel work. Uh, but if I do, it's just to emphasize action and to build up, mm -hmm. you know, uh, energy and excitement, you know, and I don't even go too crazy with overlapping panels or breaking panel borders. Um, I don't think it's that necessary. Um, but in this sense, we have a lot of setup and then the moment, and I thought that middle tier uh, could use just a little bit more and also to accentuate the shape of the action. Um, so I went ahead and just angled my middle tier panels. Uh, I thought about not framing in the last panel and letting that just do a full bleed, but um, I think cropping it again just makes it more cinematic to crop it. So I just went ahead and still did that anyway. I like I like the little subtlety that you're saying there about the the size in that panel for just the just sort of slightly shifting it higher up so that you're not getting mm -hmm. the the tangent. It's uh, that's 
really subtle. I wouldn't have even noticed that if you hadn't pointed out. It's, you know, it's sort of showing the sort of emphasizing the point of the sigh, um, yeah. as as well as sort of moving it up slightly from from the the border. One of my favourite little touches on on your page is is just making the um, the lettering on the grenade uh, um, just giving it the shaded effect so so that it's making it look like that lettering is three um, D essentially like, like it's a stamp like embossed yeah. thanks <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know it's just a, a little a little thing but uh, but sort of just bringing it um, I guess modernising it a little bit and sort of being able mm-hmm. to add add just a little detail to it. I'm, I'm also, yeah, uh, noticing now the, the the diagonals, which I hadn't actually picked up on on the my first read through of uh, of that. How did the two of you and um, Robert? Why don't you start this time? How did you feel about uh, maintaining Snake Eyes's costume? I had asked about mm. that and got no direction. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, you know, because that would have been helpful too if somebody had come in and I don't even care who it had been, but if they had just come in and said, we're going to go with this take on Snake Eyes's uniform, right? And said, it's a bit more modern or we're going to go with the exact version at, like it is in the book. Uh, if, if they had just come in editorially and said, we're going to make this, you know, editorial decision to do it this way. Instead, we get a, we get a bit of a variation. Um, which I don't even mind either. It's just that artist interpretation of it with each single page. It just adds more variety as a result. So, you know, I don't know that there's a right or wrong way about it. Um, you know, the, the different ways that could have went about it is to have somebody do just a model sheet and then we all would have stuck to it and then it would have kept it consistent and we still would have had varying either body types or rendering styles, you know, and we still would have got that uniqueness. Uh, and a certain someone probably would have still ignored it. When they I was did just going to say, I was just going to say page 19 probably would have been different, <laughs> but still it doesn't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know that the, obviously I still love the books. So I don't know that it, that, that that was a wrong choice. I'm not criticizing that choice, um, but we weren't given anything. We weren't given any direction. Billy, how do you feel about your take on the costume? What did you feel like your approach was going to be? It's funny because uh, I think my brain thought you, there's three different ways I could go, like super extreme, like underground comics looking, or, you know, that would be like a level three and like a level one would be like trace the original page because it's perfect. And then two would mm-hmm. be somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think I did two, but not knowing what other people were doing, I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, are, are the other pages going to be like underground comics? Like, is someone going to collage like newspapers and make a page? Uh, is someone going to do this whole thing with crayons or photograph toys? And then I'm going to be like <laughs> the one guy that drew it <laughs> normal. Yeah, uh, That would have been embarrassing. I even, you know, I always toy with the idea of wanting to color it myself. And I think I would have done like Binde dot screens and, mm. you know, <clears throat> added the... Uh, what do they call it? Added the noise in Photoshop and tried yeah, to make like it look screen tones, yeah. retro. Yeah. Mm. But I also like, you know, Robert's more modern take, like tilting Snake Eyes' head. And, you know, it, it looks like it was made in 2022 and not 19, 
84. And I think, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, James Brown was the colorist. So that kept things consistent. Having a consistent colorist does tie together throughout. Um, and then, um, oh, and just quickly, just to step back, I did. So I lightboxed certain panels for composition, but then finished it in pencil and inked it directly on the board. So I had just a pencil and inked final um, page because uh, I definitely wanted mm -hmm. that original. Uh, so is this, so that's is, how this is this the last page you're ever going to sell from your from your art <laughs> collection? <laughs> or the, no, or I the... <laughs> no, I already sold it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, it's okay. gone. Congratulations, okay. uh, Robert, and to the to the buyer. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Um, I mean, I have. I do have some pages that I like and that I've kept, but I've never been um, too precious about my art. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't care about it that much. <laughs> one of the one of the uh, one of the, the the two of you know this to some extent or to a great extent right when when an artist draws comics for you know like one or two issues there's not a lot of art if you draw comics for three years you suddenly have a giant yeah. stack of quite heavy paper and yes any one page is worth 15 or 30 or 40 or 500 dollars, and it's all potentially quite um, valuable but if you have to like move or you have to lug it to a convention yeah. All right, am I going to put it in a in Itoya folders? All right, well now it's taking up three times as much space. And so, mm -hmm. on the one hand, people who you know, like I think um, I think Walt Simonson does not sell his art, and I think Eric Larson right does not sell his art. There's a few, and that's cool because then you know an IDW can say to Walt Simonson, "Can we scan a bunch of your Thor pages? We want to do a big book," and he's right. got them, um, but man, must that take up a lot of space? And, you know, like we all own things, toys and DVDs. And, um, you know, at a certain point, maybe it's every day, maybe it's every five years, you think, oh, I should probably thin this out. Um, and uh, it would it would be fascinating to know how Walt Simonson keeps his art because he's he's been working regularly, you know, oh, for gosh. a long period of time. Just the, you know, I, I've no idea the number of issues that he's done. The, the amount yeah. of paper there must be staggering. How I'd be did, curious I mean, about the archival, like the archival um, necessities of that. One, to keep it from yellowing or to keep it preserved and the insurance, like, you know, uh, to in case, so it's not all in one place or if it is how it's protected, you wouldn't want that to go up in a fire or something like that. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, if at at a, at a basic level, if you just kept it in some boxes in a, a room with some air conditioning, you'd be doing pretty well. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't. You know, you don't have, you don't need acid free paper between each sheet mm -hmm. necessarily. You don't need it in Itoya uh, folders necessarily. Um, but um, uh, before, I think after the between the solicitation. And Mark, help me out with a timeline here. Around then was when the cover, the original art Ed Hannigan, Klaus Janssen's cover to the original issue 21 right. was going up for auction. And so we, right. we sort of talked back and forth briefly, like, oh, so should someone buy all the pages of the G.I. Joe 40th anniversary special? And 
have their own complete collection of silent interlude. You know, as far as I know, the, the new cover for this for this comic book has not sold. And also, uh, I think the inks are on top of the original pencils, but I, I don't know. Maybe the inks were done um, off of uh, off of uh, a blue line. A scan. Yeah, mm. a scan. Um, but uh, you know, this is th- this comic is this is an edition of a grail mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the art collector in me wonders how sort of the art collectors out there think of this, think of your pages. Well, I know some yeah. pages were done digitally. And so even if huh. uh, one of the artists printed a one-off lithograph version that mm-hmm. was notarized and stamped, you know, that it's a one of one, I mean, it's still never quite the same. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, so, I mean, I don't know that there will ever be a purely, you know, full original version of this out there. Yeah, we were talking, we briefly talked about this on on another episode, or maybe it was just me and Tim talking. But anyway. Uh, about put you know if a collector wanted to go out and get this uh, this issue, it would be an absolute nightmare because you're gonna you have to contact yeah, all yeah. of these different artists. You know, some of them, some of them, you know, might have only done it digitally. Some of them will have uh, sold it already. <laughs> you know, I, just I was... the moment you find out, and and another person will be you know, holding on to it and say, you know, you're never gonna take it out of my, you know, until it's my <laughs> cold dead hands. Um, so yeah, I was thinking. I know that. I was thinking the way to do it would have been after the book was announced to put out a call on social media and say yeah. something like, I am a well-known, well-funded art collector. And I'd like to announce <laughs> to all of the contributors to this GI Joe comic, I will pledge this much money right now to each of you. If you lock in your page for me, mm-hmm. but you, one would have had to have done that many months ago. Yeah, I mean, if they did that, if they announced it uh, with the editors, and I don't know what, I don't know if this has ever been done, but if the editor reached out and said, hey, this is the page rate, uh, we'd love you to work on it, and we have this collector that's interested in buying the page if you do it, if you do it originally, mm-hmm. um, you know, heck yeah, people would sign on and do the original, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> IDW is only going to pay so much for a page rate, but if you know you're getting so much on the back end, for the original, then you have even more incentive to do it and to do it original and to get it done by a certain time. And then Robert, that collector is going to get it all. Robert, do you know who drew their pages digitally? I'm well, I think off the top of my head, uh, I'm pretty sure Tom Feaster did his digitally right um, on the page, uh, page one, but yeah. <clears throat> because he just works digitally now. And, I would, uh, I chat with I, him pretty often. I would guess Freddie Williams II because uh, he wrote a book about drawing digitally. I don't know if he still does or he, if well, he does consistently. Yeah, but a lot of the, he sells a lot of his art on his website as well. So he okay. isn't just just he digital. Tom, Fe- Tom Feister did. Um, he does those gray washes. Yeah, did sh- did have uh, a bit of process page there in the back of the book. So right, it right. looks like he certainly use some digital tools to at least lay it lay it out even he if, probably uh, did a blue line and then finished with inks just to uh, have an original 
Yeah, for, actually, yeah, that's a good reminder, Mark. Freddie Williams II's uh, making of page in the back is definitely a computer blue line sketch, mm. but it does look like it's been printed out on on Bristol. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, yeah, sort of the, doing doing a good chunk of it on uh, on digital, then printing and and finishing it uh, finishing it by hand, perhaps. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd really like to talk, Billy, like about like panel to panel, like we did with my page, like sure, yeah, kind of some of the comparison of the original and your shots. Where are we? Yeah, Billy, Bi Billy I, I don't know whether to phrase the question um, like panel one, you flip the camera, uh, which is, um, wow, what that's amazing. What were you thinking? Or how <laughs> dare you? Right, right, right. Uh, I think it's great. I think yeah, I love it. I think, there's I think every fair... shot you made was the right choice. But I think there's I just, a. I want to know what you're thinking. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, watching. Uh, okay, this is nerdy, but but doing my little stop motion version of it, I realize there's a bunch of helmets on the ground now. Uh, all yeah. those, all those dudes got their hats knocked off. <clears throat> so oh, that's I thought, cool. It's picking it up from the previous page. Yeah. I thought that'd be neat to show you know the debris on the ground. And panel one, the original, is perfect. But, uh, you know, I don't know if we know which guy exactly is attacking Snake Eyes. Um, mm. if, you, if you hop with me into the Wayback Machine um, mm. and go back uh, to 1984. <laughs> the, the one who gets the knife in his chest or the one who doesn't get the knife in his chest? Right. Mm. I'm thinking the guy that gets backhanded is the first yeah. guy to wake up. Yeah. Right. Because um, he just gets slapped. <laughs> right. But it is funny, too, because I think the guy... Okay. What what page is mine? <laughs> 12? 12. 12. On 11, the guy with the goggles, I think, disappears. Yeah, he kind of uh, just drops like right uh, up against the balustrade you know he's just up against the wall half wall there right yeah, he's, he's, cro he's cropped out of panel i did try to include him in my panel one and i tried to make the movie yeah. all black cool. so you could still see it uh -huh. but yeah mm -hmm. you're basically just like if you change the camera angle too much on certain panels in this whole book like like you know larry already picked the best angle Right. Like like when Robert's talking about Snake Eyes going up the stairs and the ninjas just standing there like this. Like if you did it from the ninja's point of view, like you wouldn't see his arms crossed. Right. Or you'd be yeah, like yeah. between his legs and Snake Eyes would be really tiny down the, the stairs. Or if you if you so, zoomed like, in on him. All the perfect you... angles have already been yeah. picked. So <laughs> I just kind of did the best I could. <laughs> It was a weird assignment. I, I kept thinking of uh, Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake. Mm. Which is a, a shot for shot remake of the Hitchcock original where Van Sant didn't change anything in terms of directing. Right. right. The actors are different. The color is different. There is color. So I thought, you know, if his goal was to bring attention to the original, that right. <laughs> I could pat myself on the back for that. Like, hey. You guys need to go seek out the original if you like this one. And then they printed it in the back of this one also. So you don't have to but go very far. The, the nuances here in panel 
three are exceptionally good. Like the the silhouette and clarity of like the struggle between the two of them and like their their poses are great and the silhouette is great, like showing the the Uzi going down, kind of leading and uh yeah, the pose is fantastic. But it's just like you know, it's not um I mean working out the choreography of these types of struggles is really difficult. I mean, it's it's one of the the funnest challenges that I love about kind of action adventure comics. I it's I love it. As I really get into this kind of stuff, but so I really right. appreciate it too when people think through the like the mechanics of like where would your hand go? How would you grab them? You know, just to use that body leverage and thinking through that. I just love it. I think this looks awesome. Well, it's embarrassing, but uh I, I would never do like a horizontal panel that tall typically. Mm -hmm. But I really, you know, as a stickler for giving your eye room to breathe, like, like his uh, his cobra boot, I think is way too long. But <laughs> I like the way it fills up the rest of the uh, yeah. the panel, and it does print bring your eye down to snake eyes and then the gun. But as yeah. far as like acting it out, I did act out snake eyes's pose for panel one. Oh yeah, because I think he show, just back. Show us the reference photo. Grab your camera. <laughs> well, it's a it's a video. Like I acted it out. I acted out. You know, you backhand a dude. So which way is your body po twisted? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he. <laughs> so he he throws a knife, slaps the other dude, and then I was thinking I, I had to do this on my porch. Because the railing of the porch <laughs> is the balustrade of the uh, castle. I love it. This is awesome. Parapet or whatever. And I, yeah, I had to turn around and look. And there's another video of me like attacking myself, like holding my head, <laughs> which is, which is ridiculous. And in the blue line, that's great. I think I have his arm reaching out more. Uh -huh. I had snake eyes. Oh, yeah. You can see him reaching for the gun, uh -huh. which I oh, think. That's cool visually would have made more sense but choreography wise didn't like mm -hmm. i think his arm would still be I, you get to overthink when you're getting paid the big bucks so <laughs> no I, I i think i think what this conversation demonstrates is that drawing comics is difficult and the people who think about it a lot tend to draw the better comics um, something else that's going on here, right? Billy just mentioned these these tall vertical panels, and there are several in this issue where yeah, there right. are three or four tall vertical panels across the top tier and or the bottom tier, and then a, a really stubby horizontal panel in the middle of the page, uh, which almost to me looks like a truncation of of the Arashikaje tattoo. Ah, I, mm. I think I, that's inadvertent, right? Like Hama's not like no. He's not like and at least go ahead at least at least a couple of these scenes with the the longer kind of uh panels are set on the battlements so certainly this one is as well so there's a bit of uh a bit of kind of synchronicity between the the panel layout and the location yeah i think part of what's happening here is that um in in traditional 1970s and 80s Marvel comics, right? The sort of rule was, uh, I don't know who invented it, but editor-in-chief Jim Shooter certainly 
like spread it, right? Andrew, Andrew Wildman mentioned this from when he was working on Transformers, that generally the top third of the panel, of any panel, is kept devoid of important details because that's where word balloons are gonna go, generally. Mm -hmm. And so you have this issue where the guy writing it, drawing it, knows there aren't going to be any word balloons. And so there is no space in any panel where he can't put something important or fun. And also, and this is this sort of blows my mind. When I'm when I'm sitting with my sketchbook, I try and do this, and then I like can't do it. Uh, the way that Hama draws, and I I want to say he got this from Krigstein, but I could be misremembering a fact. Hama draws heads first and hands and feet first, right? Like a lot of people, when they draw the figure, they draw a line of action, like a swoosh, right? A line that sort of represents the energy of the pose. It's related to what the spine is doing. It's often a spine and a dominant leg. And, um, and, and you look at how like a lot of kids draw or students draw and they draw like the head and then the neck and then the torso and then like the arms and then the legs and like hands and feet come last. And I have a little video of Hama demoing this on a dry erase board and it's, it's really cool. And he says, um, if, you, if you rough out where the head, hands and feet are gonna go, everything else can fit. Like if you put it, like I'll, I'll demonstrate for you in my rectangle, right? If you put a hand, if you draw this head first and you put this hand here, it's like, okay, well, you know the arm is, is gonna have to go from here to here. And if you, if you, if you put the hands here, circle, circle, right? As opposed to like, all right, well, I'm gonna draw the head, head and I draw the body, let me, let me do this here. I draw the head, head <laughs> and I draw the body and then like, oh, I, I ran a space because my body's too far over and my arms are the proper length or I wanted to stretch them out slightly for the snap of it. Oh, my hands are cropped out. And so, um, uh, you know, there are, there are artists who can sort of see it before they draw it to, artists can see it before they draw it to a greater and lesser extent, whether it's sort of like through their eyeballs projected onto the page or just in their head. And, um, I think that these these four panels, especially Billy, are a nice <laughs> um, sort of continuation of what Hama was doing in laying out this issue uh, originally. In that it, mm -hmm. it does all fit. Like like that first panel is really satisfying because it tells a lot of story, but it's not a big flashy sexy panel. It's not. It's not like a ninja jumping in the air in the middle of nowhere, kind of attacking another ninja, and there are no details drawn on their bodies. Page 19. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what's, right? What strikes me... Sorry, Billy. Uh, I was going to say, uh, add in as well, what strikes me about the, these top four panels as, as well is, is uh, you know, and comparing it to some of the other pages as well, is that you've got the, the basic same panel layout, you've got the basic same thing happening in each panel, but you've sort of twisted the the perspective for each one of those, just so it, it is something different, and that there's there's a you know it's not necessarily changing it just for changing its sake, but but you know showing it from a different angle does give a something uh, does give something you know, different and and not necessarily 
better because the original was so fantastic but but it's not you know it's not any worse from from that from making that that choice uh, and you know the like the last very last panel there the the guy falling towards us with uh, his you know eyes bul- bulging and and stuff that's a uh, you know a much more dynamic panel compared to the to the sort of the mm-hmm. zoomed out silhouette of the um of the original panel of of the per- of the soldier falling which i which i do love uh, the wide shot in the original where it's just uh yeah what the original so so to, to mark's point just now about um billy changing the angles a little bit here and it not necessarily being better or worse but different i think the word is that it's more modern mm-hmm. and that's not a compliment or an insult Hama says when he talks about how he does his convention sketches or every so often in an interview, someone says, why don't you draw comics, right? You're a writer, but you draw, why don't you draw more comics? And one of the reasons is he says, well, I don't have a very flashy modern style, right? Like I think we've all absorbed 15 years of convention sketches and we forget that if he wanted to do full pencils, like he's got arthritis, but he could. But yes, you look at the original and there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of of sort of north, south, and east and west mm-hmm. in the original, and that's not good or bad. I think that's just like how Hama lays out pages right. and pencils, and also um, like it, it is it is a kind of unadorned storyteller. Like you see it in the Nam, like Marvel's yeah. the Nam. You see it in certain comics where um, I don't know, like compare a a Matt Murdock court, courtroom scene in the Daredevil comic to Daredevil fighting the hand, right? It's just a different approach. And this comic originally is a product of 1984. Mm-hmm. And this new comic is very much a product of 2022. Um, I will say from panel four to panel five, um, what, what we have now is the surprise of this Cobra soldier his like his big eyes, we now see it twice. So the effect is different, right? And Hama's original panel four with that very, very long shot. If this was a movie, it's almost like you hear the struggle for the first three panels. You hear all these like, <laughs> like body moves and clothing and like footsteps. And then in the fourth panel, you cut 50 feet back and you kind of just hear like, yeah. Right, and now we're much we're much closer, and it's louder, and so the so sort of the note get hits hits the note gets hit twice. Yeah, because we see him in panel four, and then we see him almost horizontally below that lined up in panel five. Mm-hmm. So the the sort of like the joke of it is different. Yeah, because it zooms out, and and it has so much negative space in the original. It has so much negative space that's different than when we zoom in and we punch in for. Uh, or for panel five for the reveal of him flying past the window uh, for Destro's reveal. Uh, whereas this one, I think also we, it's more continuous to the action. We have those four vertical panels that hit like staccato beats and music uh, or like a quick cut um, action movie uh, in, a, in a, a, an edited trailer or something like that. It's like bang, 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 like these four quick beats. And then that just flows even vertically, the line of the building flows directly down into the face of the guy falling. So we get that verticality of him dropping. And then we move from right to left against story flow, which feels antagonistic. And we see Destro's face 
and his realization like what uh and as he notices and then that brings us down because of his alignment with the shadow is brilliant it's so great uh so that brings us down into the last panel it all flows extremely well this way so even the i mean the changes that made it just i think keeps the action continuous as opposed to having that visual break in the action and then pick back up and it's just a pacing difference when i gave this comic to my wife because i thought oh it's been colored like by the same guy, it's all colored. She'll have yeah. a harder time picking it out. And she flipped through <laughs> it. She was like, those are your eyes on page 12. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I don't, I didn't think so. Great. Um, another change uh, that Billy has made in panel six is adding more Cobra soldiers or adding more of them. Yeah. And Larry has talked about in you know, he, he roughed this in three days and because it was behind schedule. And in that original panel six, he's drawing only one full figured guy and then only three partially figured guys and then right. a bunch of heads or not even heads, just a little bit of a helmet. And Sharp, mm -hmm. Sharpie caps in the, in the hallway. Yeah. So, right, right. Um, and, um, and, you know, like, you know, sort of the story goes that people wrote, kids wrote in letters saying, you know, like, oh, this issue wasn't a good value because it didn't have any script. Did you forget the word balloons? Um, and a panel like this in the original is, walks this fine line of something that's going to be harder to draw and take more time, showing just enough of it, indicating that sort of we fill in the rest. Like I see those two he cobra heads on the bottom and the four little Sharpie caps on the yeah. bottom, bottom right. And I see the red light and I see Jesper's pose. Like I understand this. I'm not like, I don't need a two page splash of 15 cobra soldiers running down a hallway, you know? And so um, Billy, whether, whether knowing it or not, gets the opportunity in redrawing this page to add a little bit more of figure work. I I just love that Destro against a white wall. Like he looks so good. And the 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 clarity of the the clarity is so good. Oh, I was, sorry. I was about to say the th one of the things that strikes me most about that bottom panel is is how you've almost like punched it up with a, a great big whacking shadow. So so I think we're saying the same same thing from different angles, but yeah, the the original one it's like Destro on a quite stark white wall, and and now it's it's there's some quite heavy blacks, and it's it feels like more like a kind of horror you know lighting mood to it, doesn't it? I was going for that Rocketeer cover. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Cliff's yeah. so got his backpack. Uh huh. Uh, one of the things that I love about comics before the era of digital color is that certain color artists would let the white of the page be the lightest thing on a page. Spotlight, snow, and uh, I think that's sort of fallen out of favor with almost all digital colorists. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so the, the, the beige here behind Destro, it makes sense, but I will always respond more to the look of the, you know, 64 colors of four color process color in 
on newsprint paper, you know, that we know of comics from the thirties to the nineties. I'm a two-tone kind of guy. Mm. <laughs> I really like what Matt Wilson does on uh firepower. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark and I yeah, were just yeah. talking about that book, book in the last podcast. Sorry, Mark. Go for it. Yeah. But Billy, I think, um, uh robert was saying saying that that uh he was given a very short deadline which ended up taking a little bit longer than than that uh, to complete his his page what sort of experience did you have in terms of that regard of when you were told how long you were told you had and then how long it actually took i'm embarrassed because i do think it was like two weeks which i think is like the kiss of death if you tell billy penn you've got two weeks to do a page i'm like okay <laughs> And then it's like, it's like, where'd those 13. 13 days go? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, Not all is, the time in the world. Is what you're saying, uh, that sounds more universal maybe than you're making it out to seem. I feel like other artists might do something similar. Um, yeah. Just teaching. I'm like, okay, I've got this and this on my plate. And when this is off my plate, then I'll do this. And then things just keep getting added. And then I'm like, oh, 12 of those days are gone. And you know yeah. in your head that you could do a page a day if you sat down to do it, but you know, I got to act this out on the back porch, and <laughs> <laughs> that's half a day. Right, right. <laughs> you can pat yourself on the back like I worked on it. If my wife's like, "Did you work on your page?" I'm like, "Yeah." yeah. I I'm shot some. My... I shot some video. I'm wearing my black <laughs> turtleneck, aren't I? <laughs> It doesn't seem to be any lines on the page yet. It's, it's I worked. but but I guess uh, yeah. I saw, I saw on social media a few some of the artists involved saying that that it was a very quick uh, turnaround time, and the thought did occur to me that you know that is is somewhat in keeping with the spirit of the issue. I mean that it it was turned around over the course of a of a weekend originally. So you know may, I... maybe giving giving artists a quite quite strict deadline. It is in keeping with that. I don't know if Robert can speak to this, but as a Joe fan, I saw the solicitation first. <laughs> and I think the um, solicitation had like four or five names and it was like, I think and all it's... your other fan favorite artists. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't get called. And then <laughs> no, like, yeah. five days later, I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I, I mean, I'd, it'd be curious to kind of be a fly on the wall for that editorial meeting where they had the idea, wait, we could do this. You know, it's it's actually the 40th anniversary and let's do this because I think they made the decision in January. They probably made initial calls late January. I'm thinking back on the timeline here. Um, and then uh, and it's not that big of a deal, but I think. Oh, shoot, I remember exactly. I could look up the emails. It doesn't even matter. But I think we got. I got an initial email. I think I was probably in. Um, I yeah, I wasn't like the first person called or anything like that. But just in general, we got asked. But I wasn't. You know, they had asked a few people for that initial solicitation, and I think they had the idea they wanted to do it. But we, um, yeah, I don't think they had reached out to twenty artists or so, and then got confirmation and then ran the solicitation you know what i mean they had said hey this is an idea 
and I'm sure enough people will say yes that we could do the project and then solicited it because they just wanted to go and they wanted the sales. They knew mm -hmm. it was like guaranteed sales and they knew they could run it with you know, multiple covers and it was like money in the bank. Let's do this. And they didn't have to write a new script for it. They're like, this is an easy. I think the phrase you're looking for, Robert, is printing money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, so, for the most part. So. So, so notably, all right, so I'm looking at the solicit right now and it says. Me uh, too. It says, including S.L. Gallant, Lito Diaz, Andrew Lee Griffith, and many more. And notably, uh, Gallant is not in this book. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how yeah. To, but many more are. And and so, right. sort of everyone else is right. Like everyone else who like should be who's who's done GI Joe for IDW in the last <laughs> five ten years. I need to talk to that. Shannon about that. I want to. I need to find out what happened there because, I mean, he definitely should have been. He's the longest running um, Joe artist that's worked with Larry. Right. I know at times there's been some. <laughs> Yeah, he There's must have just story. been up against but, some other deadline that <laughs> he had to yeah, get the, always, the, the always, other unreasonable deadline down first. Yeah, the regular issues. And then to a different point that Robert just made, um, you know, like th there, this is guaranteed sales, particularly with variant covers. Yeah. To, to my great surprise, there are no variant covers for this comic. And Sometimes that might be down to time because you have to commission one more artist. Yeah. And I'm like the minute Hama showed the pencils on Facebook of the cover, I thought, well, there's your variant cover or right. just inks without color. And yeah. um, it, maybe someone crunched some numbers and said, you know, we have found that variant covers on an $8 comic are a dicier proposition. Although, you know, I, I would never guess that. I feel like variant covers on any comic sell more yeah. comics and as a retailer especially, th especially this one like because yes. this was going to sell no matter what and yes. i think if, if anything it was probably under ordered and this is going to have like a resale value out there i don't know why they felt a need to rush it i i mean i just don't i mean i don't know what behind the scenes are i don't know any of those answers but i think they i mean considering they ran i don't know how many covers for the last ronin and for all these other books that are out there like they could have easily done 20 plus covers for this book well um, i think yeah. people would have jumped at the chance to do I it i think the comparison with the last ronin makes sense <clears throat> as a reader but since like nickelodeon and turtles and that readership is a different thing right um i think the comparison i mean although last ronin is more expensive i think the comparison would be um like the first issue or the final issue of snake eyes dead game where you have sure a G.I. Joe thing that's unusual and it has a high marquee value. And all those issues at Dead Game had 17,000 variant covers. <laughs> and, right. um, and, you know, actually, since this is an, an old fashioned kind of comic, you know, this is an anniversary special, it's double size. We don't get many of those for G.I. Joe. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of a reprint. Um, it's a it's a single issue reprint. You know, you don't get that a lot. I mean, you, you get second prints, but you don't get sort of like deluxe mm -hmm. reprints of comics so much anymore because everyone, readers and publishers, just waiting for the graphic novel collection. Right. But there's something that I find really reassuring in an old-fashioned, simple way that this does not have a variant cover. Right. It's like the thing that the thing that I know this for, this cover, 
That's all there is. It's not like there's some like painting of Scarlet like in a white Cobra uniform for no reason. And like some store has an exclusive on that. And if I only That's go true. to this convention in Georgia, there'll be like Baroness and like Serpentor with no logo. And that's like the convention exclusive of this comic. It's like, no, no, Snake Eyes, that Snake Eyes comic, you know, that's the comic. Yeah. But, from, true. I mean, like, for, but for perspective of IDW making money off G.I. Joe, yeah, it can be some varying covers. <laughs> Yeah. Especially maybe, this being the maybe, last year they have it. Yeah, maybe just because you know Larry Hammer doing this cover was you know special enough that they thought let's let's just have that as the focus. Let's not distract. I don't know. I, I think I think the reason, if I had to guess, it is the most pedestrian, and that is time. Yeah, I think this final year of GI Joe, in a normal year of GI Joe, it's hard to get twelve issues out because you've got approvals from Hasbro and then there are still supply chain, shipping, paper, printing, talent, slowdowns and shortages. And, you know, like my dream for this final year was there was going to be, you know, six months ago when I was imagining my best 40th anniversary GI Joe year, well, there was going to be a double sized special in March for the actual anniversary. And then there's going to be, double-sized 300 and then there's going to be a side mini series like silent option just more story and some cool reprints and then maybe some special that <laughs> like Stephen grant and like mike costa would write it's like let's get some of the guys who aren't hama who wrote gi joe just because and what we're getting is um you know and then and then the reality is in your final year in your final six months of a license how many things can you have come out in the final month? Because in the final month, the final issue is going to come out and any graphic novel that collects the final issues and anything that's been delayed all year, that is your final chance to sell it. January 1st, can't sell it. And so um, I think I think from a management perspective, yeah. even something like this, which is home run, you know, just wrangling 22, 25 uh, artists, um, yeah, it's already written and everyone knows what to do. Um, but putting this comic together is harder than a regular issue G.I. Joe drawn by one or two people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think so, so I was going to oh. circle back to the, the point that, that we started making about the, these list of artists and, you know, the 90% of them are artists who have been consistently who have been working on the book in in recent months so so we had sl gallant being the the consistent artist for a very long period uh, and then uh and nitho diaz having quite a long run but then after that it's been a lot of uh a lot of people doing one issue at a, a time for the for the most part and going through these these names it's it has all of those people really who have been doing the the one issue uh have been one of the people that have been uh approached so uh tom feister has been doing not tom feister is a i guess a, an alumni of of idw early right. years less so recently freddie williams has been doing a lot of the recent covers alex sanchez has did one of the uh recent uh issues brian shearer long time i mean he uh, was in, uh inking Inca. yeah inking shannon and then he did a couple fill-in issues yeah, he's yeah he's done I think two issues on his yeah. own, which Tim appreciates. Dan Shoning did a, did very nice 
uh, Untold Tale issue and has since been doing the the Saturday Morning Adventures. Casey Maloney did a recent issue. Maria Keane uh, has been inking. I think she inked over you, Robert, on um, the final issue of Snake Hunt, oh, that's I right. believe. Yeah, yeah. She came in and helped with Brian, yeah. And has been and has been uh, and is the inker for the these these issues in the run up to three hundred as well. Adam Riches is uh, in the GI Joe sphere, but I think this uh, this is his he's first only done interior, a couple of pages. Yeah, he did yeah. one thing for Marvel, and then he's I mean, but mostly like package art type stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I think he's done a, a, some of the variant covers, particularly for IDW. Yeah. Uh, then Alex Milne is one of the names I'm. Not oh, familiar. He's more with, for along with Tim Lati. Yeah. Um, yeah, Alex Milne has drawn a bunch of Transformers for Dreamwave and also IDW. But uh, GI Joe did show up in his Transformers yeah. a couple Transformer years ago. Transformer GI Joe crossover, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, so the, the the continuity in the last five years, uh, where the, the Hasbro verse as that as that was happening, GI Joe shows up for a few pages of Milne's. Yeah. I'll jump back then. It's sort of Tim Lati, who I glossed over. Um, do we know the, his connection to IDW? Or? Um, he's done some covers for uh, Ghostbusters. Uh -huh. He like a whole bunch of covers that for like Dan Schoening would do the A cover, and Tim Lati would do the B cover. Tim Lati did um, a B cover for GI Joe, the one with the keel hull, in the last couple of months. And he did uh, the uh -huh. yearbook, the yearbook two reprint that came out a few months ago. Okay. So he has so done two, two GI Joe covers. Definitely in the roller decks. Uh, Nitho Diaz uh, obviously has done a lot of GI Joe work. Billy Penn, we know. Uh, Kay Zama um, did uh, the recent year. I say recent, it's probably years and years ago, but recent in my mind anyway. <laughs> recent yearbook strip uh, she she did. Uh, Daniel Maine, uh, another name I'm less familiar with. I haven't gotten uh, to that part in my in my blog yet, and I have not yet mm. figured out Daniel Maine's connection to GI Joe or IDW. Uh, Cuba Ball did uh, one of the Untold Tales, very nice issue with Falcon. Antonio Fuso uh, obviously did uh, did a long run Cobra. on Cobra. Less less, uh, and actually some of the. Uh, Death of Snake Eyes covers as well. Uh, Robert Atkins, Salvador Velasquez, I'm not familiar with. Uh, Rob Liefeld obviously did Snake Eyes, Dead Game recently. Uh, Jamie Sullivan has been doing lots of the variant covers. Andrew Lee Griffith has done uh, quite a number. Uh, yeah, did did um, most of Murder by Assassination as, as well as a couple of other issues recently. And uh, Ron Joseph similarly did... Uh, has done a few issues over the last few years so so most of the names there out of the out of the roller decks sorry belly you you were going to make a point before then i started um jumping over the top of you I, uh... I remember what it was. <laughs> no no it... i can i'll i'll skip back to your your page because there was something i wanted to touch on as well and we've got one of the comments coming through here from dash solo 90 billy pen is such an inspiration of mine Okay, you've got a fan out there. Dash um, Solo, you too can draw a GI Joe cover at your kid's soccer game. Am I remembering that? <laughs> that is my kid. I think he's streaming this in the living room. <laughs> Ign ignore Dash Solo 90. Uh, okay. 
Unless he means that. Do you mean that, Dash? No. He's, he speaks a lot of truth. He speaks a lot of truth. I love G.I. Joe. <laughs> uh, so, so what I was going to just jump to, so obviously this isn't your first rodeo with uh, the silent interlude issue. Uh, you did a sort of stop motion recreation of it, um, which we went into <laughs> with Dash Solo and the whole, yeah, the, the whole clan. And uh, we went into a detail on it on a previous episode. Uh, and what I've got here is my uh, <laughs> my very rough and ready approximation of uh, your new page uh, recycling. Um, That's the page I should have previous been video. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So I'll just uh, I'll just let that sink that piece of uh, yeah, actually, I like the inclusion uh, uh, of panel <laughs> of a panel there in the middle. Uh, Destro inspects at the window. Actually, Billy, if you had taken Mark's composite here, <laughs> opened it in Photoshop, <laughs> uh, uh, taken out all the saturation, stripped out half the gray tones, sent that in, it could still be colored like a normal black and white or black and white and gray page. Maybe it would have made it in. Maybe That, that would be interesting. Then, that would be interesting. And then... And then you could have been that experimental guy that you were talking exactly. about Exactly. They'd have been like, who is this? And I would have lit up we, the boards. We thought this guy was going right. to draw it normal, like the issue he drew. Right. I, I wonder, so um, uh, do, do the three of you remember Wednesday Comics, which was a 12-issue experiment yeah, from, from DC? DC. Yeah. Yeah, so um, editor, art director, Mark Chiarello, who's an amazing painter himself, put together this weekly series. It was printed on newsprint and it unfolded like a newspaper. Oh yeah. Uh, and Mark has the oversized hardcover. And the idea was uh, like in the 19 teens, American newspapers, the Sunday strips, uh, the most famous ones were the full page. They weren't a third of the page or four tiny boxes. And so um, the series was weekly and it was called Wednesday comics. Cause you'd buy new comics on Wednesday, but it was supposed to be like Sunday comics. And, um, it, the trains had to run on time, right? There were 12 creative teams. Everyone was turning mm. in only 12 pages, but they were more than double sized. And it was such a weird project. And it was put together over like six months. And Chiarello um, commissioned two one page strips that were gonna run in case someone missed a deadline. And they, no one missed a deadline. All, all 12 issues got printed in 12 weeks with all 12 stories. But for the hardcover, those two additional pages are included, and uh, and you know those people knew that they were backups, uh, uh, a Plan B contingency. And I have wondered, not to embarrass anyone, but just in the process of schedules and availability and interest, was anyone else was anyone else asked uh, if they wanted to draw a page for the 40th anniversary hmm. special? Who said no? No, sorry, I can't. Or maybe did anyone? And this would embarrass someone, so I, I, I should never know. But I'm curious. <laughs> yes, and then they didn't hit their deadline, and there is a half-drawn page out there. And could that please get put in the in the hardcover coming later this year? But there's there's a curious part of the the book as as well, which is that uh, Andrew Lee Griffith did his um, page, and he has it framed and on his wall. So yeah. The, no, no collectors getting that off of him, but um, he also did do this uh, this page mm. on the left, the the final page 
22, which was the page that Ron Joseph uh, uh, was had published. So they, they've shared this in the in the back of, uh, you know, in the sketchbook section at the at the back here. So um, yeah, it's curious. He's he's the one artist in the book who has got two pages uh, published. Um, uh, that's uh, that's a, a in the middle the the mid of the images I'm sharing. The middle one is a previous Scarlet Commission that he did, uh, and the one on the the image on the right is his own Scarlet and Claw toy, which he used for for reference to to draw that. So, so the, the pencils uh, on the left are an additional page that he drew. I wonder exactly, if in, yeah. in his excitement he just drew two pages and said, "I don't know, pick one." Ah! Yeah, yeah, I was, I was wondering that myself. He, you know, maybe, maybe got a bit excited, or maybe, yeah, it's like oh, I'm enjoying this so much, just, just for fun. I'm going to draw the next page and see, you know. One of my biggest fears with the PDF is that we were on the same page with what numbering we had. So, like in my emails or correspondence, when I said like page twelve in parentheses, I was always like Destro running up the stairs. Right. Yeah. Like I did not want to turn in a page and they're like, well, we got somebody else that did it way better than you. And now, you don't, <laughs> now you don't have a page. They're like, you know what? Uh, like Andrew Lee Griffith drew two pages. We're going to bump both of them because we only asked for one. <laughs> you can do you can do his page. Um, yeah, I was I was the same way. I described mine as the grenade Indiana Jones page. I did the same <laughs> thing. Exactly the same thing. OK. All right, I, I finally found the idea that manages to mix the sales potential that Robert was talking about before with the, um, uh, the, the, the 90s and modern cynicism of comics that I find so fascinating and upsetting. Um, I know we're all used to now for some big deal issues, first issues, uh, like actually 10 or 15 variant covers, you know, like like every two years when Marvel does a new Spider-Man number one, like there will, I'm not exaggerating, there will be 15 variant covers. And this is separate from convention or store exclusives. Um, and um, uh, the first time that I was shocked by how many variant covers a comic book had was when Gen 13 launched its ongoing series after the miniseries wrapped up. And this was, I think, a surprise. I think when it, at least for the reader, when it debuted, I got to the store and my store owner said, oh, there are 13 covers. And you think 13 covers is a lot in 2022. It was, it was egregious in 1995, <laughs> right? Now, the good news is that uh, two of them are sort of dumb, but the rest of them are like amazing, right? They're all wonderful, fun, crazy, sexy drawings, right? It's what you expect from Gen 13, you won't be you won't be surprised to know that I got the Michael Golden one. And uh, hmm. so here's what here's what could have happened. 22 variant covers, each drawn by the artists drawing the issue. Everyone doing their take on this pose, including Shannon Gallup. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Gen but 13, because that, that was the pre-internet era. So all the kids listening out there, like my buddy Chuck and I, we got, he had his driver's license by then. We went to like the four stores in Tallahassee just to say, which one do you have? Like, yeah. Like you would literally drive from store to store to see, oh, you got the blue line cover or, oh, like 
Like now you just Google it and in two seconds you can see all 13, but it is so weird to think that we had to drive around town or, or you <laughs> like had we to, knew they existed. We just didn't know what they looked like. Or you had to wait until you got some mail order catalog for that had back issues. It's like, oh, they're listing right. ones by Jason Pearson. What does that look like? Right. I think the zine published all of them. Right. The okay. routine zine. Right. Right. There, there's a new hardcover, which has the miniseries and the first issues of the regular series starting over. And that has all of the variants. Okay. That's cool. Have you, all right. So we've talked about with the two of you, your approach to your, your pages. Um, did you at all think about the cover sort of a what if scenario or when Hama posted his pencils, did that get any gears turning? Cause the cover is, is so much of the iconic nature of the, the issue. I mean, yeah, the right. original, the original cover that is. No, I mean, no, I, they just approached me about the page and I, that was all I could fit in schedule wise anyway. Um, I, it's not like I was like, Hey, so you got somebody lined up for that cover? You know, I wasn't like, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to get that too, you know, or anything like that. Um, I didn't know if they had planned to do variants. It actually honestly didn't cross my mind until after I saw it come out. I was like, Oh, I'm surprised there aren't any variants just because they had been doing that. And because honestly, IDW, their typical business model is at least two to three variants. They do an A and B. They usually have a retailer incentive. I mean, so I was just surprised that there wasn't, but that's all the thought I honestly put into it. Um, so, I mean, that's, that was it for me. I, I think when Larry put that sketch up on Facebook, I think my brain automatically went to, uh, oh, they're going to have different people ink this and different people color this. Like that oh, would cool. be the variant. And then when I think he posted like, Lealoa inked it. And he's like, this is the first time we've worked together, like on the cover. I was like, oh, well, that's a neat little, a neat little tidbit or nugget. Like they didn't, they didn't do the cover together, but they did pages one through 22 together. Mm -hmm. Maybe so I thought that was a neat full circle. Maybe since it would be impossible for an art collector to own all 22 pages since some are digital, some are already sold. Maybe the trick is some enterprising art collector needs to commission all 22 of you to each draw your take on this cover as mm. originals, not digital, and then buy them. Like an <laughs> NFT. The whole issue yeah. could be an NFT. Because uh. there, was, there was that art collector who commissioned a bunch of artists to do uh, an entire issue of um, of The Dark Knight, uh, the Frank Miller uh, book. Uh, and so, so he went out to all of the, you know, the big hot names, um, struggling to remember who they all were, but, but you know, a lot of the, the sort of the, the big names of today, like Jock and all these kind of guys. Um, everyone and, drew and so, one so page? Everyone drew one page. Yeah, it's a fascinating um, uh project uh yeah would say try and try and do a google and, and seek it out um i was i was doing trying to do a google myself to try and see because i think uh i think billy you have done a version of this cover right but with um tom uh, oh tom yes. waltz's <laughs> i was like no i didn't but yes yes i did i did add tom waltz to the cover as like my own business card for him 
Is he hanging on the back of Snake Eyes the way that Mary Jane, <laughs> Mary Jane would be hanging on the back of Spider-Man as he's swinging? It's actually the original cover. You just added Tom Waltz. That would be awesome. No, no, no. It It is Tom Waltz, but he's got a proton pack instead of an Uzi. Mm. And there's a little Ninja Turtle yelling in the corner now, like G.I. Joe. Now, wouldn't if if Tom is holding onto a, a rope, doesn't a proton pack take two hands to up, to operate? Not okay. if you're Tom Waltz. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and not if you're just shooting yes. wildly across, you know, <laughs> um, unresponsibly right. across the cityscape. There will be no streams crossed. Well, yeah. uh, uh, um. Certainly, you probably can't say yes if the answer is yes. So I won't ask if we might see any more GI Joe contributions from you in an official capacity this year. But I will say, I would love to see more GI Joe work from both of you in an official capacity this year or beyond. And uh, oh, there it is. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's some good cartooning. So the most good. unusual calling card ever. Um, do do the two of you uh, maybe maybe sort of a um, a wrap up thought or a begin a beginning to wrap up thought might be. Um, oh well, real, real, real quick on your past on your previous question. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know for IDW to be honest. Um, if they wanted me to do a cover or something like that, I probably could. I don't know if I could even fit in anything in for interiors. I mean, I was able to do this one page that was great. Um, the amount of stuff that I'm doing right now for Renegade, uh, on the board game side and on the, uh, role-playing games like that, I've been swamped for a year and a half because I'm doing so much with them, which is great. And I love it. And, uh, and, um, they are putting out so much content. It is mind boggling. Um, and it's been phenomenal. I've, I've really, really loved it. Uh, they're putting so much, so many resources into, uh just uh building up this world and this um you know just the gaming environment for joe which is phenomenal they uh they'll be putting out uh from what i understand like two expansion decks a year for their uh deck building game they'll be putting out um yeah at least an expansion per year for their board game and then they'll be doing um i've already worked on two or three expansions for the role-playing game, like adventure uh, adventures. Um, so, you know, you have your role-playing game hardcover rule book, but then you'll have adventure paths for each rule book, you know? So every one of those adventure paths needs illustrated. And so they have a, you know, a whole bank of illustrators they're working with, but, um, and I fit in what I can with my teaching schedule, but I can only do so much. So I've been pulling in artists, you know, whenever I can. And, um, they'll be working uh i worked on this expansion with uh chris campana and kyle petchock and marshall henson a number of other guys and uh as i'm scaling back what i can do because each game comes with typically like 50 illustrated cards um and so I mean, like i said it's just a, a big workload and so uh i've tried to kind of divvy that out as best as i can um, I'm not like a full art director. I work with an art director, but they usually say, who do you know that can draw the content well? And then I just reach out to people I know who are available. And then we just try to get the art job done. So usually it's, they go through me and then I farm out that work and I usually pay them directly. So 
it, uh, everybody gets credited certainly who works on it, but I, I end up being like a pseudo art director to get these done. And so I've been kind of managing the past four expansions um, the last year and a half on this stuff. So I don't, I don't see me doing interior work uh, until I decide to step away from this. Um, but it just, it's a way for me just to be fully immersed in the characters and the property. Um, and uh, sometimes the deadline schedule is brutal on these, but it's not so consistent as the regular comic book work. Um, and so usually also when the deadline comes up and it's tight, I can spread it out over a team of artists and it's not too much for any one of us, which is harder to do for comics also. So, Yeah, I've got my deck building game here. Yeah. It looks lovely, but I think my brain is too small to make it work. It's, uh, there's, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a sort of someone, you know, very acquainted with the with the deck building game sort of mm-hmm. mechanisms and and stuff. So, so I, I think I need someone to hold my hand and uh, and walk me through. If you if you watch a few <laughs> like playthroughs on YouTube and stuff like that, and you just go through it once or twice, then it uh, you kind of get the groove of it. And I think like, especially once you get like. Not that you need an expansion set to play it, but once you start getting like expansion packs, then there's a lot more variety to it too. I mean, yeah, you can play through yeah, that yeah. that regular game. Like it's a self-contained, by all means, it's self-contained and you play through it multiple times. But then once you get expansion packs, then you can nuance the deck you have based on the characters you like, or you'll get more variety of bad guys and you know Cobra soldiers and all that kind of stuff. But so it's cool. I, what's I been also, the... I also have that box. It's uh, it's in the other room, and my <laughs> my brain is also. I have never played card games, deck building games like that. So yeah. my my answer is the same as Mark. I'm I love this. I'm so excited to have it. I don't know how to play it yet. <laughs> what about no, you, Billy? Do you think cool. do you think this is sort of the the deck building game or the the um the RPG hard cover stuff? Is that is that in your wheelhouse? Not typically, but I have seen these pictures circulating among uh, the Joe fans on Facebook. And, you know, the cards always look neat that, that <laughs> I was going to say they they get they get a 10 year old me excited, like just seeing Serpentor right now, and Hawk and, mm-hmm. you know, Snake Eyes version two. And, and the snakes on <laughs> Serpentor are there. They're active. They're not, <laughs> right. they're not, they're right. not at rest. It's not mm. a collar. They're alive. Yeah. Like okay, Robert, you with yeah. with this project and with the mobile game that you've been involved with before and stuff, you you must have drawn every single character by now. You must have drawn more character more of the G.I. Joe characters probably than any other G.I. Joe artist but by this point, just in terms of the variety and all of the little um That's a good question. Uh, you think holes. so? Uh, you think so? There's some surprisingly. Um, well, and then I had done like that one cover that had every Cobra character on it for Devil's Due. That was years ago. Uh, but then uh, for Joe's, um, you know, where you get like a nice spotlight card or something like that. Uh, it wasn't until like somebody commissioned me to draw Lifeline. I don't think I'd ever drawn Lifeline until I had done that. And then, um, you know, between either private commissions, projects like this. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a few that I've drawn, but but you get asked to draw the same, you know, 13 to 25 characters over and over and over, you know, even for every iteration of project. Uh, so one thing I do like about this project is they are 
branching out and it's not just um, the current modern version. It's also not just the classic version. Like they, they're dipping into, um, you know, just different versions all through the nineties, two thousands and, you know, 2010s, like, uh, they'll have us very specifically reference like every iteration that Joe's had, uh, which I, which I appreciate. I think it's cool. Cause there's, you know, there's fans of each version that's come out. So. Cool. And then, uh, Billy, last since last time we talked, uh, we had uh, this. This one is yours, isn't it? This very cool. Um, Be kind, rewind um, retro video um, Saturday morning adventures cover. I wanted to do a VHS variant, and I, I even drew IDW like with the mouse, like like the <laughs> FTE. What is it? F FHE. FHE, <laughs> Family Home Entertainment. Yeah, but I I don't think they went with that. But <laughs> how did you get the uh, the shrink wrap highlights on the top? That's so cool. I think I just typed in like a VHS cassette tape on. I I, I looked for like the highest res one I could find, maybe on eBay, and then uh... photoshopped, <laughs> it, photoshopped it in. Right, right. It's it's not as I think what I should have done is printed it out myself and then stuck it in a white case and then photoed that case and then <laughs> sent the photo. So it looks. Billy, I think, cool. I think you should have spent more time on this. <laughs> right. I right. don't think you spent enough time on this cover. I'm my own worst enemy for sure. Um, do the two of you have thoughts about the anniversary about the the uh, uh idw wrapping up its affiliation with the brand in 2022 um i think you know it was interesting because i was working with devil's do when they similar thing happened with them mm. um and i was really good friends with the editor michael sullivan uh so i kind of had his thoughts about it behind the scenes when he was editing there we went to school together me and mike we were both uh, students at SCAD. And then we, he graduated six months before me. He became an editor at, at Devil's Due. So that was my connection there. How I started working there is he hired me. And then, um, so about six months before they li lost the license and it was uh, announced, um, I kind of heard about kind of just in general, they're bummed about losing it um, and had to kind of roll with it, you know, over with that company. And then when it transitioned over to IDW, I kind of luckily got that gig over there and was still associated with the property and was with that initial push back in 2008, 2009. And, you know, I think it's, it's had its own roller coaster over there with IDW where they've had different times where I felt like they had a solid handle on how they wanted to go forward with it and with direction of story. And then times where it's honestly, I think it's floundered because they just weren't sure what the readership wanted different, uh, <laughs> And I think the um, you know, editorial staff has shifted quite a bit. And it's not like IDW's fault or anything like that. Like literally their editorial staff moved on, new editorial staff came in, and then they had to decide, well, what are we going to do with this property now? Uh, and whenever you have a transitory staff, then you have new ideas. And new ideas want to go in a new direction. Um, the readership hasn't changed. The property doesn't, doesn't change. But a new editorial staff will have a different voice. And so that 
that I think created a few bumps in the road, you know, for a lot of things. And so I don't know. And then I just IDW as a business model, they run their business a certain way. And so um, I've, I've always enjoyed working with IDW. They pay on time. They're always very nice to work with um, and they keep a good schedule uh, at this, at the same time. I mean, they don't pay royalties. They keep a certain page rate, which is pseudo competitive. You know, it's not the best. It's not the worst, you know, but, and I would keep working with them. I don't have anything against them by any means, you know, I would always continue to work with them. Uh, but so I think it moving on to another publisher isn't a bad thing. I think that they've, you know, as a overview, looking back, because I was with them when they launched. I mean, I was the artist that was with the launch. Um, so I've seen it through its entirety. And uh, I would say that they have done a good job with the property. Bringing back the original series, was uh, brilliant, and I'm glad that they've done that. And reprinting as much content as they've printed, uh, it's always been of the highest quality of printing. You know what I mean? They've never shortchanged that in any way. Um, if there was anything that I would have loved to have seen change was just a bit more consistency in the storytelling and a bit more kind of development of this kind of IDW verse you know, so let a real American hero do its thing and keep that on its steady tracks. That's one thing that I would laud them on and just say that like they've done a great job of just letting Larry Hammer do his thing. But the IDW verse version of it, I just wish there was a bit more consistency and a bit more willingness to do maybe like one shot graphic novels, just like let a creative team come in and tell their Joe story. And whether it was a series of volumes or just a one shot, awesome Joe story, just we pitched that I don't know how many times, and it just never quite sold with a uh, rotating, you know, crew of editors. And I think that was a missed opportunity. That's just my opinion. But so I mean, it moving on. I think it's just a, you know, IDW will be fine. They have plenty of other properties, and they'll do great. Uh, I really enjoy I enjoy them. Um, but I think uh, where where it moves on, I think that that's, you know, they can look at, they'll have their own business model. They have their own opinions on how they want to move forward with it. I think hopefully they take what IDW has done well and then they can kind of look at, you know, if they're going to do a rebooted version of IDW to keep that separate. And then they, you know what I mean? Um, I, you know, I have my opinions on, I think how it could be successful, but um, I don't know. That's just my overview. I think overall they've done a good job, but as far as when it has dipped or when it's had issues, those are, I think that's my opinion as to why. I think I'm like you, Tim, like I see solicitations and I get excited as a fan, like my, my wheels are turning and I, I'm afraid that sets me up for disappointment. I know I want it. <laughs> I know I want issue 300 to end on like a double page spread with Hawk talking like arms akimbo. And I, I don't think that'll happen. I know I, he's got part of a speech building in my head, but, uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, I think, when the first series ended in 94, I think I had been out of GI Joe for like 40 issues. I had been a grown up, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a grown up, uh, 14 year old moving to image. I, when it ended, I was like, Oh, that's sad. GI Joe's over. And then dark horse got it. Then devils do got it. Then. So I know that it will never end. This is just, a big chapter mm -hmm. in the saga of 
the Hamaverse. Um, and I don't, I, if he writes the way he says he writes, I don't think he knows how issue 300 will end. <laughs> but I, I would like to pick his brain and do a little <laughs> inception. It'd be cool if it ended yeah. like, but I don't know. Do, do you have a do you have a final page in mind? Is that a question to Tim? To, or any, to Larry? Or to... <laughs> Dash solo. That's uh, one of the one of the thing interesting things about the letter pages and Larry's responses in the letter pages is that you can kind of follow his uh, long longer term sort of thought process sometimes about something that you'll you'll see it in the letter page. And then over the course of a few months, you know, some of those things that kind of, you know, maybe prompted by letters or maybe just sort right. of percolating sort of start to play out. And so, so that's, that's one of the, one of the reasons I'm a bit bummed out that we haven't had letters pages for the last few issues is because we're not, we're not getting some of that little insight about uh, how Larry's feeling, you know, responding to some of those ideas and how he's feeling about the things that are percolating that, that we might see play out. I was really hoping he'd come to uh, Joe Lanta in Atlanta, like in March, and and he he didn't. Uh, I think he hasn't since COVID started. But I thought, hey, we worked together on that one issue. Let's chat. <laughs> give, it, give it. I've a, got give a new it. picture for you. Yeah. <laughs> give, right. it six, give it six months. I I bet I bet he was doing some conventions. Uh, right. In, in the spring of twenty two. Um, I bet I bet he'll wind his way your way next year. Right. In terms of how I think the series is going to wrap up, I think there are only two or three ways a GI Joe series can wrap up. So I think anyone who's read a bunch of issues can sort of guess. And I I don't mean that to be mysterious. I don't I don't say that to sound smart. I think Sort of any long, like think of Batman, right? Like I know this sounds crazy, but imagine Batman was wrapping up in six months, like Batman and Detective, and all the spinoffs, and DC was going to relaunch it after, like six months later, after taking a break, or like IDW was going to license it, right? It's like there are actually only two or three endings to the Batman story, knowing that there are definitely or very likely more Batman comics coming after you know <coughs> like you can have sort of a definitive ending you can have a somewhat open-ended ending um but it's like well it's not going to end with everyone dying right and right i don't think it's going to end with lots of characters dying or maybe anyone so um and <coughs> and, and almost every and every ongoing series that ends some things get wrapped up and some things don't you know it's like the analog is Nthman, which was going to run 24 issues until it wasn't. And so <laughs> Hama wrapped up everything he could. He wrapped up all the, all the, all the main stuff, but everything got truncated. Right? Okay. So, uh, cause Nthman was pitched as a, as a novel for comics as a 24 issue. It's like a novel length comic story. And it made it and 12, made it 16 sales weren't 16. great. Okay. Right? Um, and so, uh, you know, there were know, ten issues left or six issues left when when the like call was made. So, you know, it's like I remember. Um, was it the third to last episode of Lost? Someone gets on a plane. Yeah. One of the main characters gets on a plane, and they they say, "I'm going to the island." I'm not giving anything away if you haven't watched Lost. 
is then going to the island. And I thought, cool, this person's going to the island, going, going back to the island. And on the plane are three other people, uh, actually including an actor who was in G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. And I, and I said, hey, it's the guy who plays Breaker in G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. And the like main guy is like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm on this plane. I'm like, wait, why are you talking? Don't introduce a new character two weeks before the finale. Like, cut back to the island and show me how everyone's doing. Right. And then he and then this character talks to the other two people on the plane. And I thought, there's no time. There's no time for this. It's like, do you did someone tell this writer that there were six more episodes? There are two. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I know I know Larry. I mean, he he's always stood by the way that he writes. Um it, it, as much as he says he has, he doesn't plan ahead. I mean, he's got to have, you can only write that way so much. You know what I mean? You have to have a general idea, you know, obviously right. to, to have some kind of context or outline. I understand not writing out a very specific outline, but you have to have a plan. You know, you know how many issues you have left. You have a general arc that you have to build, uh, even if it doesn't pace out exactly the way you expect, or it doesn't, everything doesn't fall into place the way you expect, but. I would guess he has a he has a general ending uh, in mind, even if this last arc kind of wraps in a slightly different way, or if it doesn't pace out exactly the way he planned. I would guess it's fluid like that, but he does have a an idea. I would assume. Yeah, an idea in mind, but yeah. getting there, or even the destination, might change as you as mm -hmm. you progress through it. But you know, find finding your finding your way. Cool. Um, oh, a couple of comments come in. Uh, so. <laughs> getting, getting ready thanks cover, for up mentioning... my, cover up my arms oh <laughs> thanks for mentioning the letters pages i miss them too yeah um so um yeah we've been we've been yammering on for a little while and i'm sure you've got things to get on with in your day so thanks so much for uh joining us and uh spending the time and finding out more about the process for uh this uh, very special issue um and and yeah hopefully you enjoyed the conversation too so uh robert where can people go to if they want to find you and uh what things should they be checking out at the moment um yeah just robert atkins art on all my kind of social media twitter instagram uh facebook and um and uh generally Again, like I said, I'm, I've been working with uh, Renegade Game Studios on their board games, uh, deck building games, and role playing games. Um, I'm working on a few other projects, uh, and on uh, Elders of the Runestone is a co-created comic book I have with uh, the volume one came out this last December. Um, we're just running a couple of small Kickstarters for just kind of merchandise and supplementary things, and then we'll have volume two come out this next year. And uh, which at this point, I'm more of like an art director role uh, and just kind of helping with that project. And then this summer going to Joe Fest, which I'm really excited about, we'll be in Augusta again. Um, and I'll probably be doing a lot more conventions this year just through SCAD, which I teach at Savannah College of Art and Design. So uh, I kind of represent the department when I go to a lot of conventions. So I'll be at C2E2 in August at DragonCon in Atlanta um in september and probably new york comic-con in october so i'll be doing those and 
Billy, uh, if people search really hard, they can find your blog on online. Uh, oh, Billy gosh. Penn's pl- plot developments, which uh, <laughs> I haven't which updated you since can... January, but now I'm going to have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, and you can find the one the one word um, posts that that uh, like oof and <laughs> but within yeah. that within 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 the within the madness is uh, is some actually, some really cool uh, stuff as well if you if you navigate around some uh, uh, yeah like the Tom Waltz piece and the the Larry Hammer caricatures and all of those kind of things but um, uh, where else can people find you and what else uh, do you want, should people be searching out. <laughs> um i really don't have anything at the moment uh i just wrapped up year 20 of teaching elementary school on wednesday and i'm nice. i'm making the jump to middle school after 20 years oh my gosh so uh not 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 college level yet but <laughs> middle middle school so i think this summer my brain's just going to be working on new curriculum oh, that's so that's exciting. an exciting change yeah so I think if people and, want to see your work, they have to be in seventh grade and, up and go to <laughs> I think that's what Mark is fishing for. Yeah, they they and will prob- be taking course request changes up until <laughs> August if you guys want to enroll. And probably in in the most recent trade paperback collection as well, they can find uh, the the issue that you did of uh, right. A-Ra. Uh, back to Cobra Island and the Cobra Casino, which is an important plot development of uh, the ongoing series. So, um, yeah, we we get to see um, SL Gallant follow up on on some of the um, foundations that you laid in that that issue, which is uh, very cool to to see. Um, I got a big kick t- out of seeing the two brainwave scanners next to each other, and I'm like, I know that room. I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Jurassic Park kitchen. Um, uh, right, right. Tim, and where pe- where can people find you? Uh, my brick and mortar shop is Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts. If that sounds like a faraway suburb of Boston, it is four subway stops out of Boston. So it's we're kind of we're kind of in Boston, uh, and my blog is a realamericanbook dot com where you can find uh, all of Tim's initial insights about the very book that we've uh, been dis- discussing uh, with a post to, fo- to come today, apparently. <laughs> so uh, if you're brave enough, you can join Tim in uh, in our outro, <laughs> which, say, which goes, uh, remember, we've been talking, Joe, but... <laughs> Nobody beats Talking Joe, an international podcast! With three guys out there in the States and one guy who (laughs) is not. (laughs) Thanks for joining us again, guys, and catch you next time. All right.